everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Today's guest is someone I was a fan of, still a fan of for years, and then actually got to sort of hang out a minute or two. Please welcome Adam Richman. How are you? Good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Good good to see you again. Good to see you. Okay. You have a new show, which we're going to get into, called Eating the 80s. Right. Adam Meets the 80s. Yep. Adam Meets the 80s. So we'll get to that. But what I noticed when I, things I didn't know about you. Okay. You have taken a very interesting route to get to where you are. You're 47 now. Mm-hmm. But you were born in New York. You went to Emory in Atlanta. You went to graduate school at Yale Drama. Yet you've become famous for eating food and telling us about it. At which point did your parents cry for uh, well, all the money spent on your education? Well, I think that I, I still like, you know, at least hopefully come off as a pretty intelligent guy. I don't think I... I squandered my education. I think that if I had done that, I think that, you know, um, it's kind of a dubious distinction to sort of make you a splash in the world, eating hot wings and big burritos and stuff. But I think that um, I never stopped. Like I, there were a lot of people um, with whom I acted in undergrad and grad school that have left the business and, there are a lot of people with whom I came up in the food business that have left the business. And I think the tenacity with which I approach my goals, I think, yeah, I didn't become a doctor or a lawyer or a banker like so many of my Northeast, my Northeastern Jewish brethren, but I, I, I worked hard and I made a success of myself in something I loved. And my mom got the Yale sticker for her, the back of her car. So I'm good. Yeah, that's all that really matters. Yeah. <laughs> when when push comes to shove. So I I okay. I studied with San, Sandy Meisner. He was a Legend. legendary acting coach. You went to Yale Drama. Correct. People looked at me funny from my Sandy group when I said, by the way, I'm not gonna act. I'm going to host and produce and eventually be on a reality show. Don't they look at you like, did they look at you like, dude, like I I had friends that literally like, like how dare I, and it's a craft and it's an art and I'm out there going on MTV going, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Yeah. But you know, yeah, there's always like the purists and stuff like that. There's always the people that are going to be more dramatic, like more dramaturgical than thou, but um, I remember we uh, had like a little bit of like, you know, one of those cross-legged sit on the floor conversations like you do in acting school. And we were talking, it was our third year at Yale about what did you want to do? And some people had these very lofty answers, uh, you know, I, I, as long as I can still maintain my connection to Shakespeare and and as long as I have my connection to the classics and I want to maintain my my um obedience to the craft and, and and it's all great but when it came when it came to uh to 29 year old adam richmond i i used to say i just want to work and people were like well don't you think that's kind of reductive i mean we all want to work you know and i said right but like i don't really care <laughs> like i'll do an alpo commercial i'll do you know what i mean i'll do an infomercial i'll do industrials for hemorrhoid cream my point is 
Yale Drama School is on the Yale EDU website under professional schools. If you went to the law school, if you went to the school of management and you didn't get a job as a lawyer, you didn't get a job as a businessman, you didn't get a job in the medical field after coming out of Yale Medical School, you would have said to have squandered a very, very expensive education. So my point is standing on ceremony of I'm not speaking the speech trippingly on the tongue like I was taught my second year in Shakespeare at Yale. Yeah, okay, I get it. It definitely lacks a degree of maybe... Uh, Snob appeal. Drama, dramaturgical purity. Yes. But at the end of the day, my loans are paid off. I bought my mom a car. I give thousands of dollars a year to charities. I've sponsored whole little leagues. I got to uh, take care of, you know, of... of Vast hospital expenses from my grandma and my uncle passed and took care of his whole funeral and little things like this. And um, and if, if big burritos and hot wings got me in a position to do that, then pass the blue cheese, dude. Yeah, seriously. I had a friend who was very much the actor and then he had to do a Zima commercial. So there you go. Zima? <laughs> Hell yes. Can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Now, now aphasia is super duper in the news because yes. of Bruce Willis. I'm just curious because, you know, you like the, the Meisner book is one of the first books you read when you're like a clove smoking black turtleneck wearing actor. Yeah. And like, I remember playing the listening game and everything. Were you The were, knock at the door. Oh yes. Yes. You're wearing, you're wearing a white shirt. Yes, I am wearing a white shirt. I thought white would be good for me. You know, yeah. Oh, I was doing the listening exercise. Yeah, and you're wearing a black shirt. Why are you here? Exactly. Why the black shirt here? Why now? Yeah. Why now? (laughs) But what was it like? Were you working with him when he had aphasia? Yes. Not. He had the 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 microphone. The he had the microphone, Um, and he you know he was definitely older. I'm not sure it was aphasia aphasia. Um, Because he still managed to yell and criticize. (laughs) (laughs) He hadn't lost many words yet. I'm just picturing a guy talking to a doctor like, but will I still be able to criticize? Exactly. And yell. (laughs) And say things like, that was awful. I didn't believe you. Why are you wasting my time? Okay, we got to talk about why you're here, because you and I could just go on with this silliness. You know, next thing you know, we're going to start, you know, quoting bad Shakespeare at each other. <laughs> yeah. And tomorrow and tomorrow creeps at this petty pace. <laughs> um, your first show is Man versus Food. Correct. How did you come up with it? Because... By the way, I think we're the only country or one of the only countries in the world that has competitive eating as a sport. No, no. It's really big. It's huge globally. Huge really? Huge in Asia, huge in Australia, huge in the UK. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And Man versus Food is in like 36 countries. Um, it's it's kind of, kind of wild, kind of bizarre in that respect. Um, yeah, I um, – I did not actually come up with it. I auditioned for Man vs. Food. What and is that like? How do you audition so, for Man vs. Food? I, I, uh, it was like a six-round process, and there was no challenger or, or like mass consumption or whatever until the very, very end of the whole process. That's the truth. 
initially it was um, about like on camera comportment, culinary anthropology. Can you describe flavor? Can you make food look and sound good? Can you um, contextualize food? Um, and then it was, you know, then checking restaurant references and, uh, you know, seeing my, my, you know, getting my tape around to, cause I auditioned for a casting director, wonderful casting director named Barbara Barna. And I remember they said, uh, bring for the first audition, bring something food wise and describe it. So I deliberately got a mole burrito cause I thought there's enough cool facts about mole to make it interesting and who doesn't like burritos. And then I, and I don't like mole. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. That's fair. Yeah. And then um, we did a thing. She said, where do you like eating around the country? And she didn't know I'd been keeping a food journal since 1997. So Really? Or, Before or, it was or cool to do that. Before <laughs> right, it was exactly. cool to do that. Yeah. Had I not been a schmuck, I would have been putting everything on YouTube and been been been, set been an for, influencer. Been set for life. All my yeah. friends have so much money. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so broke compared to these guys. Anyway, um, so yeah. So then – uh, eventually after all the interviews and stuff, uh, my final screen test was at Katz's Deli and, um, I had to do a big Reuben and Katz's is not a cheap sandwich. I couldn't really afford to, <laughs> to eat there. And so they didn't so, pay for it. Oh, they did. That's why I was psyched to eat there. So I worked out super hard. Didn't eat that much the day before. And at that point, the show was called pig out. And uh, there were people bandying about like the the expression of like man versus food, and we filmed my final screen test on uh, Valentine's Day of '08. And I remember I and I knew all these facts. I had researched my read within an inch of my life. I had rehearsed the shit out of it, so it was super smooth and mellifluous. And there were six people there, and they were all competitive eaters. And um, I had gone in to Katz's the day before and interviewed everyone and I bought a shirt and I cut the neck out and I washed it so it looked weathered and then up my my read at the end of my read after saying all these facts I unzipped it and I opened the hoodie and I go oh and if you're curious if I'm a fan or this is my you know if I'm a fan or I'm reading it off cue cards this is my own t-shirt big fan and so I went in and I ate this Reuben and these fries and whatever and uh, basically, the idea was I had the job provided there was a job to have. So we shot a sizzle in Williamsburg. And it was basically me changing jackets in a van, walking in front of random nondescript brick buildings in Brooklyn going, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. And then going into a Brooklyn restaurant eating chowder. And then going, like putting on a gingham shirt, freezing cold. My nipples could cut glass. Putting on a gingham <laughs> shirt, going... I'm in Alabama, just walking past like a random stand of trees. I'm in Mobile, Alabama to try some fried chicken. And then we went to another restaurant in Brooklyn that's a fried chicken. And then like, and I'm, and it was, that's what it was to give the, the, the guys uh, an idea of what it looked like. And then almost five years to the day I graduated Yale, they picked the show, uh, they picked the show up for 10 episodes and then three episodes in, they bought eight more and then 12 episodes in, they said, we'll do it as long as you want to do it. Wow. Um, you know, nostalgia plays an incredible, important connection to food. What food memories do you have from your childhood? Cooking with my family. You know, I'm blessed and 
it's not like meant to sound soundbitey, but I've got a lot of really awesome women in my family. Um, my mother is undoubtedly my hero. I'm very vocal about that. Um, just, you know, even if she weren't my mom, I would be just so honored to know her as a human. Um, but I also have a phenomenal stepmother who's equally inspirational. I like how you say that plural. What, what do you mean? Stepmothers. Oh, I have mom. No, I have a single. I have, I have okay, because I'm like, wow. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're not that progressive. <laughs> I was like the one who dated non-Jewish girls, let alone when I got an earring. At that oh, point, oh. Warhol. Yeah, they like, didn't. They didn't cry when you decided that you're going to eat food for a living. They cried when you got the earring. It was bad enough. I was the one listening to rap music. I was the one dating non-Jewish girls. You know what I mean? I wasn't listening to, you know, typical right. pop, pop music and 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 the prerequisite right. Long Island Billy Joel Jewish kid, I guess. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, uh, I remember cooking with my grandmother, my mother, my great aunt, Anne, and my aunt Debbie lived upstairs from me growing up. And that was literally the first cooking I ever did. Um, and also, um, the Brooklyn I grew up in, having been born in 74, was not hipster, ironic mm -hmm. mustache, trucker hat Brooklyn. It was, you know, you didn't bring your own back to the grocery store in our Brooklyn. No. And uh, so a lot of first-generation families. So sleeping over at someone's home was as much a culinary education as much it was a social experiment. So my neighbors across the street were Italian. Next to us were Syrian. Next to us were Irish. And you could get all Colcannon potatoes and boxy pancakes and caponata and shawarma in Kibbe and um, – like just these incredible – my dad had a law office in Chinatown. So you're trying chicken feet and dim sum. And so those are like the big memories I have as a kid for sure. So let's talk about the show. Adam Eats the 80s. How did you – first of all, how did you pick the 80s? Oh, man. I just think that the network, you know, I mean it's History Channel. So they they have literally their finger on the pulse. They know what people want. What And it's interesting and they think – you can see it in fashion too, right? Like mm -hmm. people get obsessed with different decades at different times. Like in the nineties, people were into the seventies, then the oddies, the eighties kind of come back. Uh, but I think that, um, a, it is arguably one of the most dynamic and energetic decades full stop. When you look at fashion, music, politics, but also when it comes to food, because that's what this is about. It's looking at this energetic, magnificent, dynamic decade through the prism of food. Because Correct. how many 80s documentaries have you seen about the music and the big shoulder pads and your mom's comedy and uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Reaganomics? But my point is food changed forever in the United States in the 80s because of certain things. Like, for example, I'll give three big examples. Please. Ronald Reagan says you can advertise directly to children. So suddenly you have a proliferation of kids' cereals. You start seeing uh, integrations of candies and video games in foods. Donkey Kong cereal, Nintendo cereal, Pac-Man cereal, Mr. T cartoon cereal, Reese's Pieces are in E.T., Rubik's Cube has a cartoon and a cereal. Then I don't remember the Rubik's Cube cereal. I remember Cookie Crisp. Oh my gosh, a whole bowl of cookies. <laughs> a, yeah, cookie Crisp was excellent. I was never big into the Lucky Charms. I don't know why. Honeycomb, Honeycomb Kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were lucky. See, mm. I was a chubby kid. So mom 
would buy the little variety pack of cereals and you would do the Apple Jacks and all the awesome yeah. ones early. And then it was always a grim day that that 12th day when you had all brand before math class. Yes. You're like, fuck this oh, life. Yeah. Oh yeah, but, but also you had you had ranchers in the seventies carrying massive debt into the eighties. So uh, beef became more expensive because they sold off a bunch of their their herds, and chicken began appearing on fast food menus. You had McDonald's chicken sandwiches in seventy nine, eighty. You had McNuggets in eighty three. You had chicken sandwiches in eighty six. So all that started happening, and then you also had. Um, two parent working households, which you never really had before. Mm -hmm. So you had women entering the workforce, a one third uh, increase in the size of the white collar workforce. So you now had latchkey kids and you had a microwave. So kids could now prepare their own meals. So kids had, you could a now advertise directly to them, but they had agency. Kids could now determine what's being bought. It wasn't just who had the money. Kids had what they called pester power. So you could like pester power. That was oh what my they, they god! My Madison son Evans. has that, and I didn't know what is the he? name. What does your kid eat? What does your kid love to eat? Oh uh, well, okay, he's an athlete, so for him, it's mostly that he has to eat a lot. But I gotta say, he is a fan of Taco Bell. He is big Mexican food, um, but again, he grew up in L.A., so he's Fair. like, oh, I'm just gonna have a poke bowl, you know? <laughs> he's, he, you know, I'm growing up on sushi. Where, you know, I was grew, grew up on macaroni and cheese, lean cuisine, and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. But that's and the other- anything, anything I could scrounge off a craft services table. Fair, fair. So I would have dinner of, you know, cheese and crackers and, a handful of, and goldfish and a handful of red vines and be good to go. But that's the other thing, too, that we talk about in the show is that, you know, because it's all well and good to talk about the food, but you need to have the context that kids in the 80s were left alone. Kids in the 80s had a degree, uh, to quote Shakespeare, with a larger tether may we walk that may be given to kids today. And I think that that was the interesting thing that like, you know, you had, we do an episode on, on the kind of extreme candies. We had candy and guns, candy cigarettes, chocolate cigars, candy noses with candy boogers you pick. Oh, candy. I got it. How about the trash can ones? It, I literally just got one as a gift from a candy collector named Russ Vandiver. I'm looking at it right there. Russ Vandiver sent me the coffin ones, the trash can ones, garbage pail kids. Garbage pail kids. I remember all of it. How about... The story is always behind Pop Rocks. Oh, that, Mikey from uh, Life Mikey Cereal. died from drink from having Pop Rocks and drinking soda. Yeah, Pepsi and Pop Rocks. Yeah. And his head exploded. <laughs> and everyone knew someone who it happened to. Yeah. Uh, and then the blow pops. Did you ever take your blow pop and dip it in soda and then keep eating? Oh, yeah. Of course. And that's the other thing, too, right? That then packaging. And I have to tell you, for this show... I was blown away by the biggest memories coming from the packaging. So we went to a soda collector in, in Florida, and um, he had the old school rip top can. So for those oh. of you listening, you know, an aluminum can now, you fold the tab and you fold it back. But back in the day, you'd rip the aluminum top completely off, and there would be just be an open hole in the top of the can. And what did your parents always say? Don't cut yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And you'd walk around like it was your little power ring and you'd wear the little ring on your finger. I did the entire episode <laughs> and I got a chance to try a new Coke, quote unquote, the new Coca-Cola uh-huh. that was introduced when Coke uh, changed the formula for 97 of the worst days of my life. And, um, and, and by the way, that's the one day in history, Pepsi gave all of their employees the day off, which I thought was kind of interesting. That's a fantastic ploy. But right. And the other thing is, um, like even, I don't know, this is something that I bet you'll remember. So you used to have glass soda bottles with styrofoam labels and you used to peel the label off and try to get it all in one strip like an oh orange. Oh my god, I totally forgot about that. Right? Yeah, and you would you right? would and be so exactly. annoyed if you messed up. You'd get to that seam and that seam would be the hard part to pull it off. Do it so carefully. Exactly. So that stuff, but we also get a chance to and you know, so we do all these deep dives into these global these brands that became global and national icons but also mcdonald's we, went into the soviet union went into absolutely Russia. absolutely but the dope thing is obviously because of the reach of history channel we have um food scientists and food laboratories recreate foods that we've lost so we went to one food lab and they recreated keebler magic middles bonkers fruit chews <gasps> bonkers one, remember the commercials for bonkers so we got those. We went to the Matson Food Labs in Foster City, California. They recreated the OG McDonald's French fries that were fried in the beef tallow. OG Coca-Cola made with sugar. We went to um, another food lab in the Chicagoland area where they, they we met the two Bobs, the guys who created Nerds Candy <gasps> and all the Wonka candies. And remember you had the two sides of the Nerds? Not only did we do that. We found out the story of the packaging. Do you know that the nerds packaging came from a rejected idea for Winston cigarettes? And that little little slide was meant to get one cigarette at a time. They hired the guy who made the packaging. They said, we did market research. Kids don't want just one flavor. So one of the other Bobs, not the food scientist, the sort of food executive Bob, left him alone in his office with 30 minutes, a roll of scotch tape and a scalpel. The guy came back. He goes, I made it now into two flavors. And that's literally – and the way it was named, that Bob's kids named them nerds. And the drawings on the package, the graphic designer used to do those doodles on his desk calendar. And they go, those are cute. That actually looks like it. And the little known fact that I didn't know that Bob, the scientist, taught me, the original nerds were the little broken pieces of candy at the bottom of the everlasting gobstopper machine. He went into the machine. He goes, what these little bits of hardened sugar, we can coat them with flavor and sourness and fruit fragrance. And we can make these things. So we recreated the eighties long lost combo of grape and cherry. It was awesome. Oh, the grape and cherry. Um, what do you think was the most iconic food of the 80s? What a great question. Um, I always think it's Kraft macaroni and cheese with the powdered cheese. I would say it's got to be something in a microwave. Top ramen, I cup would of say, noodles. Yeah, but that, that had been around. Like freeze, freeze drying and, and, and vacuum microwave drying has been around for a minute. I guess for me, probably like the microwavable meal, like the lean cuisine 
um, would be, if not the McDonald's OG French fry itself, because there was a mil- you may remember this, there was a millionaire that had a heart attack in the 86, and he launched this massive campaign to healthify fast food and then change to vegetable oil. So, like, because that's a taste that's completely gone. But, um, yes, I, I just, for the 80s, the mic, like, microwave popcorn <laughs> yeah. like is, is one of those, you know, Stouffer's lean cuisine. The lean cuisine, I, in our family, because no one could cook, we lived on lean cuisine. And my Preach. mother used to take, even in the 2000s, and I remember I used to think this was so good and I made it at one point and it is so not good. <laughs> she used to take the spaghetti um, lean cuisine and then take it and throw it into a salad and made Why? it like a pasta salad. But she, it was hot pasta on top of a salad? No, and then she, she would cool. It was, she would, it would be, it was all cold. Like she would wow. make it, it would sit and literally like lived on that. Really? Yeah. My mind is blown. My mind is completely shattered right now. Really? See, it's good. Try it. I, I, I would try it. Well, that was the thing. Like there was a generation where like getting recipes out of time and life and, you know, recipes like on the inside of a, a Hellman's mayonnaise label, you would try these things. And today we would turn our noses up, but like, I'm excited to try it now. It was yeah. so the spaghetti with meat sauce, mm-hmm. you make it, you let it cool. Okay. And then you take a giant bowl of lettuce, not fancy lettuce, usually like romaine iceberg. or iceberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe a few other vegetables, okay. and put it in, combine, and you. And I always said it's even better the second day. So you can only imagine. I have the palate of like a child. Yeah, but you know, no those- one in my family could cook. But that's – see, that's the thing though. If you stop and you go back, right? OK. So it launches MTV. So now – and this is the other thing that people forget. It's the last decade before the internet. So we all consume the same pop culture. Now there – I mean there's there are hugely popular shows that I've not seen one episode of. Mm-hmm. That was – unthinkable like even if you didn't weren't into dallas knots landing or dynasty you had at least seen something you at least had a touchstone everyone knew about someone shooting jr whether or not they had ever seen larry hagman on television in the 80s we all listened to radio the same songs the same movies and and again the the vcr vhs tapes were uh, uh, prohibitively expensive for most people and so you know, you you saw the movie. If you liked the movie, the cereals, the candies were your only way of keeping in contact. So that's the thing. We talk about how the mall, the mall, the original chat room. So that's the thing. We get to go in this show. We go to the Glendale Galleria to the first ever Panda Express. We go to a mall in Lancaster, Pennsylvania to the first ever Auntie Anne's Pretzels. We go within a, a mile of the first Domino's. We go to one of the oldest pizza huts to get them to recreate it. But by the way, as anyone who knows 80s television and food culture, we get to recreate the, uh, the infomercials. And nice. that's, well, by the way, do you remember Shakey's Pizza? The we, that's West Coast, but I love Shakey's. Okay. The, you know what my, my biggest memory of Shakey's Pizza is? What? 
the one in Malibu had the Gatorade gum. Gator gum. <gasps> Gator gum. Oh my God. So good. So good. It was almost like, like Big League Chew in that it gave you 40 seconds of the best flavor of your life. And then yeah. afterwards you had like bathroom caulk. But yeah. yeah, it was so flipping good. Oh my God. Shaky. I didn't know that they had Gator gum. Just at the one by the cash register at the one in Malibu. <laughs> Where we would go when we were in camp, Sierra Ski and Pack, and they would take us across the street to feed us. And I remember gator gum. That's what I remember. See, and that's the thing. So we did that because that's people forget that food culture is not just like nowadays. Can people ever separate Arby's from the slogan, we have the meats? Can anyone separate Literally, at this point, you no, no, no longer need McDonald's to play their jingle. They literally have Brian Cox going, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, at the end of the commercial. And you know Doritos, as a flex, took their name off the bag and just had a triangle. And you knew who they were. Well, that's the thing that people forget how – at that, that was the decade that saw Americans switch to about 7.4 hours of television a day. You had Clara Peller – a, an old woman saying, where's the beef on a commercial becoming a celebrity for a commercial. It's just Michael Vale saying time to make the donuts on the Dunkin Donuts commercial. And, and New Yorkers knew him as Sam Breakstone from the Breakstone butter commercial first. But th that's the thing, like TV's role in food and the mall's role in food can't be overstated. And so that's why like, for me to get a chance to do, we do the Ginsu knife commercial. So I cut the can, then I cut the tomato, and I cut the rubber hose, and right. I cut the bread. We do the um, the juice man, the juice man juicer. Oh yeah, uh, it's the life force, it's the enzymes. And then we did, um, <laughs> and people forget that you go to the local mall. They would be doing like they were doing the demos. Shows, yep, yep. See, you know. And then we did the Ron Popeil egg scrambler. Where you uh -huh. could scramble an egg while inside the shell. Right. I, I remember being do. in the mall in Atlantic City, standing fascinated and glued to the Ginsu knife. But that was after I'd come out of the piercing pagoda where I had another ear piercing done. This exactly. Done the there. piercing pagoda. This was done there. But <laughs> I have to ask you, though, because you're closer to the creation of 80s culture than I could ever be. You know, I was on a little TV show. You could you could go to YouTube and type Adam Richmond Child's Play. I was on a game show from Goodson Todman Productions on Goodson Todman, yep, Goodson Todman. But I have to know, because you were actually around the tastemakers of the 80s and related to one. I mean, I remember sneaking away in like my, my Aunt Sylvia's house reading your mom's Heidi, Heidi Abramowitz book. Abramowitz book. Oh, hell yeah. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I love this. Uh, but I have to ask, because uh, you were right there, who was, your, who was like the 80s person you met in the 80s that was like one of those 80s luminaries that, that like for 80s kids, we'd be like, you met Pee Wee oh, Herman? Well, that, that I couldn't do. But for food, I remember the first Spago. Mmm. I remember, wow. I remember it exploding. I remember he was Wolfgang was the first one to do fancy pizzas. And the big specialty 
when he first opened it was called the Jewish pizza. What? It was pizza, cream cheese, salmon Lots. with caviar and a dollop in the middle. And it was called, I mean, I don't know if it was really called that. That's what my parents called it. The Jewish pizza. And so, everybody, like, it was a huge deal to go to Spago. Huge. And I remember, and my parents were friendly with him, and they went all the time. And I remember getting to go as a kid, you know, probably put my head in my mom's lap and fell asleep. But <laughs> I remember that, and I remember he had the vegetable chopped salad. But it was, like, that was the first time I was, I remember a really like cultural moment in food and restaurant. And now everybody's a restaurateur and everybody's got this and there's a million opening every day. But literally I remember going to Spago as a special treat as a child. And that to me was quintessential eighties food. Yeah. We actually talked. It's so cool to have you mention that last, last week's episode, we went to the first ever California pizza kitchen. It's still open. Still in Beverly Hills. CPK, Ma- I know exactly where the original one is. Yep. On, on South Beverly. Uh, is it Robertson or Beverly? Is it South Beverly. Is that where it is? I believe, yes. And and Shirley McLean was their first ever customer. Her agent's office was upstairs. And yes, they got the chef from Spago. They they stole the chef from Spago to create their iconic barbecue chicken pizza. And they actually pulled out one of the old menus with that weird dot matrix scripty font that it had and where they, they would use goat cheese and they would use rabbit and they were using all the, and they really Spago started it. And that chef created that craft pizza revolution doing a mushu pork calzone. Oh, I remember that. And I remember the barbecue chicken pizza and I remember it at Spago too. Yeah, that's that was Wolfgang's thing, right? The Mandarin chicken salad. Yep. And 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 that's that's the thing too that celebrity like that intersection with food. I think that's why Planet Hollywood spoke to so many people. I think that's why Hard Rock Cafe spoke to so many people because we did all consume the same stuff. We did all consume the same pop culture. Like I've not seen one episode of The Handmaid's Tale, for example. And the thing is like a cultural moment. You know, I've not seen one episode of Ozark and like everyone I know and respect is like, oh, you'd love this show. And that's kind of crazy because if there was a show that millions of people loved and knew and watched, you know, like I've not seen one episode of 90 Day Fiance, for example, but it's a it's a movement. It's a thing. But in the 80s, whether or not you liked the A-Team, you knew about the A-Team, whether or not you knew about, I don't know, um, the love boat or whatever. Right. So what is the next decade you're tackling? I mean, the 70s, you could do a lot of jello molds. Yes, ma'am. What, what would you recommend for 70s? Jello mold, jello, 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 jello mold. A whole show of jello. A whole episode just on jello. Problematic, like, problematic, like, mention of Cosby in, like, episode three. And yeah. then they, they hired this popular comedian to endorse it, and then they didn't. And then they didn't. Um, then, um, also, to me, it would be the rise of what was considered health food. That's fair. That's fair, the grapefruit diet and such. That was the thing about the 80s, too, because 
there was that move and that's the 80s again this is the other thing the 80s was when the ADA released the statement that red meat wasn't as healthy for you and people rationalize that chicken McNugget is healthier than than red meat but you know that's that's the funniest thing about the 80s because you now had this tool that was invented three decades earlier in the television suddenly being where soda is waging war you have the Pepsi challenge had Pepsi nearly overtaking Coke for the first time in their existence. But there were all these things. I remember watching Richard Simmons and Slim Goodbody, my stepmom getting out the leg warmers to do the Jane Fonda workout, hearing South Beach, lecithin, grapefruit diet, all these, all these things. I was asked by my uh, co-EP on the show, what decade I would like to do next. And, he said, what do you think, 70s or 90s? And I said 70s because I think the more groundbreaking stuff happened in the world, the change stuff. So yeah. when the oil shortage and people had gas again in the 80s and Reagan switched to supply-side economics and there was more money, more people had cars. The Japanese were selling good cars for cheap. That's why the drive through really exploded in the 80s. And you had more people with cars, more people on the go, and you could reach them. So now think about that in the 70s before that switch where fast food was still relatively new. TV was barely two decades old. Mm-hmm. And you had hostage crises. You had um, a peanut farmer in the White House and, and a yeah. former – you know, and, a, and Gerald Ford in the White House and – I, I think the music makes it interesting. I think, um, yeah, uh, like the TV dinner really exploding on the scene through the Salisbury the steak. A- abso- absolutely. Food televisions, food personalities like Julia, 100%. Jacques the Hungry Lepin. Man dinner. Dude, I came from a divorced family. Dad Richmond, even though being a very good cook, was a very good uh, heater upper of the Swanson. That's the first time I ever heard the word compote. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I have to let you go, but I got to tell you, it is always so much fun talking to you. You know I have loved you a near and a far for years. I wish everybody understood just how smart you are. Thank you. And the show, Adam Eats the 80s, is airing right now on the History Channel. Sunday nights at 10. Thanks, Adam. 